All right, um, we're continuing our studies in, the, in, in 1 Timothy. And as, as those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're studying this book because Paul is giving instructions to Timothy of what the church ought to look like or what the church must look like. And one of the primary ways that the church must be is the church must be a place where truth is is, I don't want to say adequate, it's deeply, convincingly, continuously preached and heard and understood. That's the primary thing, of what, primary purpose of a church, because we are the pillars and the buttress of truth. And we are continuing our series, continuing instructions on what Therefore, a pastor must be at such a church. And that's what we talked about, the fact that the preacher, the pastor, more than anything else, has to be a faithful teacher of God's word. And we're continuing Paul's instruction to Timothy of why it is so important that pastors like Timothy faithfully preach the word of God. I have a lot of Hats, I wear a lot of hats, I suppose. But the singular most important role in my life is that of a preacher and teacher of God's word. I may have a lot of responsibilities at the church, but my single most responsive, my highest responsibility, the single most calling that God has called me to do is to preach the word of God. We will study later on, but as Paul tells Timothy, I must devote myself to this thing. I must immerse myself to this thing. I must continually work at it. I must continually perfect my understanding of God's word and my delivery of God's word. If you're a pastor, like Timothy and all the pastors thereafter, our responsibility is we need to constantly work at developing our sermons. We need to study it. We need to think about it. We need to write it. We need to preach it more effectively week by week because it is that important. Why is it so important because of, you know, I'm, I'm reorganizing my sermon notes in my mind right now. It is so important because according to Paul in verse 16 of today's chapter, when I persist in teaching the word of God to you, Paul says in verse 16, I will be saved and you will be saved. What does that mean? Does that mean the only way that I will be saved is by me preaching? That's not what Paul means. In order for us to understand what Paul means in verse 16, we need to once again review what salvation looks like. From God's perspective, salvation is just one event in the, ha- in the life of a believer, right? But for our perspective, salvation has a past, present, and future sense to it. From our perspective, our salvation has a past, present, and future. 
all the past, present, future, that all of it is salvation. It's part of salvation. In the past, through the work of Christ, God calls us justified and God calls us righteous. When we believe in the work of Christ, God, when God looks at us, he says, this person is now justified even though he sins. He's justified and he's made righteous because of the work of my son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. So in the past, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are already made righteous and justified and you're adopted as a son of God. From our perspective, when we believe in Christ, that's what happens to us. That's the past element from our, from our perspective. That's the past. The future perspective is we will be glorified. We will be raised to life. We will be given glorified bodies and we will receive glory. That's the future. The present, where we live right now, is the sanctifying part. Is the sanctifying part of our salvation. Right now in this time and space, people are saved onto faith in Jesus Christ. And right now in this time and space, people who are saved are sanctified in Christ. The present sanctifying work of Christ where we grow in our holiness and the knowledge of God, that's called sanctification. And that too is a part of our salvation. This is all theological, I know. It'll get easy, I promise. But when Paul says... If I preach, if Timothy preaches the word of God, you will be saved and your hearers will be saved. He means by preaching the word, I will be sanctified. By listening to my word, listening to the word of God, you will be saved and sanctified. There is no other instrument in God's arsenal where a person is saved and then grows in holiness but for the word of God. There is no other instrument, not love of a good woman, not love of a good man, not the best art in the world, not the best novel in the world, not the best philosophy in the world has the power to sanctify you and change you inside and out, but for the word of God. As I prepare and preach it, and as you listen and obey it, you are growing in sanctification in the Lord. That is why the preachers like myself, our highest goal, our highest call is to perfect our faith. You're not going to grow me just by me spending time with you. You're not going to grow by me giving you, preaching to you what your ears want to hear. You're not going to grow through any of it. It is in the faithful preaching of God's word. Do you understand? That is why if I spend way too much time with you, you have my permission to tell me, yo, PJ, you got to go and study the Bible. What are you doing? Please, I wish someone would. You know what I mean? What are you doing, PJ? You need to go home. It's 11 o'clock at night in a small group. What are you doing here, Pastor Jay? Go home and study the word of God. I'm coming to the live small group on Friday, yo. I hope I hear to hear that. That's the single most important calling. But most importantly, it is not my words that I'm teaching you, right? It is not my impression. It is not my stories that I'm telling you, teaching you. I'm teaching you the word of God. I'm preaching, teaching you Jesus' words to his church. 
John MacArthur says, the preacher's most important responsibility is preaching because it is through preaching we take the words of Jesus. Jesus wants to speak to his church, so we take the words of Jesus and we teach it to the church. John Piper is saying, preacher, we're taking Jesus' words for his church and we're teaching it to the church. I'm not teaching you what I think is correct. I'm teaching you what Jesus' words to his church. That's why in our church we do expository preaching. Verse by verse, by ver- book by book, verse by verse. I don't do special series on, you know, like when I look at some church's website, they have all these series that last five weeks. Grow or triumph or whatever. They have these series have with catchy names on it. God bless those catchy name series. We don't do that here. Because I believe my responsibility is to teach you what is written in the word. Because these are his words to you and to me. That's why. But you gotta, you gotta think about you gotta think you gotta think about this. If I'm preaching the words of Christ to you, if I'm teaching the word of Christ to you, what I'm teaching is not mere suggestion or options. You can take it or leave it. Right? Actually, think about this. If these are God's words to us, he doesn't say these words to you just to help you or just to make you feel better or just to make your life better. He's teaching you, he's teaching you these words because these words are matter of life and death. And these words demand obedience. That's why in verse 11, Paul tells Timothy, command and teach these things. These things are the truth of God's word. Paul says, Timothy, you must command your people these things. We're Americans. We don't like authoritarianism. Fourth of July coming up, right? Right? George Washington, right? Thomas Jefferson, right? We don't want tyranny. We don't want monarch. King Charles' coronation was yesterday. Yesterday, that's the old world. We're Americans. Live free or die, baby. That's our model, right? What state is live free and live free and live free or die? New Hampshire. That's right. Kim, I love you. The word command doesn't sit right with us because we're highly intelligent, independent individuals. But Paul says, Timothy, when you teach, you must command. The word teach, the word command in Greek is called para, para agelo. Para means side, agelo is to announce. So what this means, what paragelo, what command means in Greek is this. It means to pass along an important message. That's what it means. Paragelo, command means pass along an important message. It's like the command comes in in, in a military situation. 
During war, you listen to the command of the general, and the officer, after listening to the command of the general, he relays the command to the troops, right? The officer, like me, listens to the command of the officer, and he relays the command to the troops. Paul is having that kind of relationship in mind. Paul is saying, pastors like Timothy, your goal is to simply pass along God's command to his church. Timothy is not called to be you know, creative with his sermons. Timothy is not called to you know, devise sermons in such a way to touch the heart of his people. Timothy and all the pastors thereafter are simply called to relay God's message to the church. And God's message to the church must be obeyed. During the time of war, when I hear a message from the general, and when I tell you guys, oh, you know, you guys, um, you know, the general said this, you know, but I don't know. I don't know, what do you guys think? Should we vote on it? I don't know. Do you agree with this message, guys? I don't know, what do you guys think? Should we have a members meeting about it? Is that how you act in the time of war? Is democracy at play during the time of war? No. There's a command. And you obey those commands. As as charming, as funny as I may be up here in the podium. I don't know whether I'm charming or, you know, winsome here. I think Tim Keller would have a problem with the way I preach, to be honest with you, right? There is a sense that what is being communicated is not just to tickle your ears, but words to be taken seriously and obeyed. Because to us, to embrace, we believe in sola scriptura. Everybody say, sola scriptura. We're going to have a hard time in war. All right, once again, sola scriptura. What does that mean? It means scripture is our only authority in our church. Catholics believe church tradition, and scripture are authorities. We believe it is the only the word of God that has authority over our church. We don't have a pope. We don't have bishops. We have the word of God. And like I said, just think about this. We believe in the living God. Those of you who are going to membership class, this is membership class, first first. Lesson of the membership class. We believe in the living God. We believe in the sentient God. Thinking, having a will, feeling kind of God. We believe this God speaks. We believe this God speaks primarily through his word. This God gave us his word so that we can listen and obey. And if we obey his word, we will live. especially the revelation about Jesus Christ. 
Scripture, the Bible is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It reveals who God is. We need salvation, who Jesus is. It is only through Jesus that we are saved. If you obey in faith and repent of your sins and believe in Christ, you'll be saved. If you don't believe, you'd be dead. Listen to the word of God and you will live. Ignore the word of God and you will die. I'll give you an example. Like uh, this week, on Monday, six days ago, for some strange odd reason, at work, I felt envy come into my heart. Really weird. I don't think I was envious at work because, you know, to be honest with you, I don't really care. I care about my work, but I don't really care if I'm promoted or not, right? This is not getting recorded, right? So, like, work, I just do it because, like, I love my clients, I love the work, and da da da, right? I don't care if I'm promoted. Okay. I want to serve the firm to the best of my ability, but I'm not in it for my own glory. But when one of my friends starts getting recognized, or seemingly, in my perspective, seemingly get recognized, there's this bitterness that comes out in me. And I go, huh, where did you come from, little guy? And the bitterness and the envy starts to grow. And I didn't like it. You could, you could like, I could start spreading. So what did I do? Do I do the cheesy method? And did I just start remembering all that God has given me? And be, be gratified? You know, that's how, how do you defeat envy? Just think about all that God has given you, right? Did, did I do that? No, I didn't do that. What did I do? I simply just started reading Luke. And listening to R.C. Sproul's sermon that has nothing to do with envy at all. I started simply studying Luke and praying over Luke. When the word of God filled my mind, it affected the way I saw my situation. And I realized how foolish envy was. In that moment, by God's grace, I knew envy is not my master. The word of God is my master. When I subject myself to the word of God, the envy just it neutralizes it. When you listen to God's law, when God's law has authority over your life, truly, your spirit will live because the envy and the jealousy and the depression and the bitterness and the judgment, they all subside when you submit yourself under the word of God. It's the most practical thing that I can tell you, really, honestly. In that moment, I thought, how do people not live subjecting themselves under the word of God? How can they say they're Christians and yet not subject themselves in their, in their minds to the word of God. 
Meaning, if you do not subject yourself to the word of God, guess what? You will let the envy and the bitterness and the jealousies and the complaints rule over you. How can you not let them rule over you? There's no force to neutralize their power over your life. Truly, that's true. There is no other power to neutralize the lust and the disappointment and the hatred that you have until you subject yourself under God's law. Unless, until you, you subject yourself under, his, under the authority of his word. I was teaching my daughter the Ten Commandments this week, right? And we're doing commandment number five. Father, obey, honor your father and mother, right? And I was teaching my daughter that. And my daughter says, but what if your parents are, you know, so messed up that it's hard to honor them? I go, what are you trying to say? Right? What are you trying to say? Right? Are you going to go see your therapist like 20 years, 10 years from now and say it's all my fault? You know, that's why I always ask her. Right? Like, me not going to your concert today, are you going to go to your therapist 10 years from now and say it's my fault? I said, no, hopefully not. But she's saying, no, because she's, she has friends. Right? who have parents who are difficult to obey. And I said, and in that moment, I said, Eureka. God's law is that not only children have to honor their parents, but I realized parents have to strive to make their lives honorable. Right? It's not, I'm not saying you, can, you should only honor your parents who are honorable, right? That is, it's not a quid pro quo, I do this, you do that. It's not conditional. Everyone should strive to honor each other. But parents, you need to do your best to make your children respect you, right? But because people don't do this, because parents don't really live a way that is honorable to their children, and their children, and because children don't honor their parents, the society is falling apart. Once again, if you obey, subject yourself to God's law, you will live. But if you deviate from God's law, you will die. That is why when the word of God is preached to you, you must obey it. Because it's good for us. Therefore, that is why Paul is telling Timothy, you need to command your church to obey God. But problema el numero uno. Timothy is the opposite of a charismatic leader. He's a timid guy. You know? He's a younger guy. He's in his 30s. God bless you in your 30s, but you're a baby. He's not only a baby, but he's shy. I don't know. Oh, I don't have confidence. He's not the pillar of confidence that you see before you. He's not. He's a shy, timid dude. And also, there are members of the church of Ephesus 
who are older, right? Who have older, who seem more wiser than Timothy. And Timothy don't know what to do. He's supposed to command them, right? But how is he going to command people that he's incredibly intimidated by? Paul says in verse 12, let no, Paul knew this about Timothy, verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you for your youth means don't let people push you around because you're young. Timothy, be a man. Do not let other people push you around because you're young, Timothy. Get a grip. Play part. Be brave. Do not be a pushover, Timothy. That's what it means. But how, do, how does Timothy, how is Timothy supposed to not be pushover? Is he supposed to say, yeah, I'm the pastor. You got to respect me, yo. He's supposed to like argue his right for respect. You must respect me. Guys, if I say you must respect me, are you going to respect me? The last thing you, have to, you could say in order for people not to, the, thing that you, the, the easiest way for people not to respect you is by telling people to respect you. Right? Guys, that guy's so needy. We're not going to respect him if you say respect. Don't, like, or don't lord over people. I'm the pastor. I'll do whatever I want. You must obey me. Don't do that, Timothy. Don't let people push you around, but don't be a jerk about it, Timothy. How is Timothy supposed to exercise his authority, prove his authority to the people that he's intimidated by? Verse 12. But set believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Speech is the way you talk, privately and publicly. Conduct is how you live your daily life. What you do with your money, how you spend your time, right? When you go out to, you know, when you go out to lunch with your folks, right? You know, the manners that you present. Is conduct is your daily living. In love means love for the Lord and love for the other people. In faith, depending upon the word of God. In purity means living a life that is striving not to sin. Paul is saying the way you let people respect you, the way you let people, you know, believe, like fall under your, you know, like subject, subject themselves under your authority, it's not by demanding it or lording it over it, but it's by pure, careful, godly living. Be loving. Show other people that you love God and you love them. Be very careful in how you talk to people. Be very charitable in the way you conduct yourself. Fight sin in your life. Make it obvious to people that, they, that you are walking with the Lord and you care for them. When you live like that, you will melt the heart of the most intimidating person and they will respect you. That's what Paul was saying. Command them, but in order for you to be an effective commander, it's by genuine, humble, godly living. 
This not only applies to pastors, this applies to all leaders, especially daddies, husbands. This is for you. How do you let your wife? You are the authority over your wife. Clip this, I'll get fired from my HR job, right? But it is true. Biblically, you are, you have authority over your family. You have authority over your wife. But how do you let your wife follow your lead? You don't do it by telling them, I'm the man, go get me a sandwich, woman. Right? Same way. The way you let women, the way you lead your wives and your children, by the way, is by loving, careful speech, loving, careful conduct, loving the Lord and loving your wife and your family, having faith in God, fighting sin. When it's evident that you're living that way, your wives want to follow you. Guys, what I realized after 25 years of marriage, and this is what I just realized, hot off the presses, after 25 years of marriage, this is what I realized. I'm going to save you 25 years off your marriage. What women want more than anything else is safety. They want to feel safe with you. They don't feel safe with you because, I don't know, you buy them, I don't know, the most expensive car or house. You can't buy safety in their mind. You can't. Look, I love my wife, and I try to do my best for her. I really do, man. I went dress shopping with her, and when I went dress shopping with her, I'm not just a passive, like, I'm just, I'm, I, just, I just don't sit there and just wait until she picks something and just give my credit card, Right? That's a lot of guys move. I'm an active shopper. I actively go through the racks, she on her end, and me on the other end of the store, and we are, oh, what is about this? It's kind of embarrassing, because I went to the sh like, clothes shopping last week, and that's what I was doing, and there was a typical man, man, man guy with his wife coming into the store. What did the man do? Straight for the sofa, open up his phone, and the wife shops. That's not me. It's kind of embarrassing, to be honest with you. But I can do that for her. But me just going shopping with her and buying whatever she wants, it doesn't give her a sense of safety. And unless she has, feels that safety, she's not going to follow. Leaders, you need to live this way. Parenting too, man. Typical traditional Korean parent is, I'm the father, you listen to what I say. Right? I'm the father, you listen to what I say. If you don't listen to what I say, I'm going to smash your PlayStation or something. If you don't listen to what I say, you know, I don't know, you know I'm going to hit you or something. That's forced respect. And Bible says, don't, that's lording it over people, and that's not good. The way you lead your children, same way, in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. You need to be a type of man 
whose children will want to follow you. Your children will not want to follow you because you take them to Disney World every year or just because you buy them the most expensive things. You know what I realized, guys? When you buy your kids most expensive things, you know what they realize? You think they will be thankful? No. They just get used to it. And they're not, you can't buy your kids into respect. It is through this kind of lifestyle. And guess what? That is, this type of leadership is the leadership of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus says, obey my words and you will live. Disobey you, my words and you will die. And that is clear. But the way he persuades you to listen to him is by being kind to you. He doesn't say, he's not a Korean dad, do this or else. No, he comes to you. He serves you. He died for you. And he gives a spirit to you. He walks with you every step of the way. He shows you mercy and kindness. When you experience the mercies and kindness of Christ, then you will want to obey him. The only reason why I strive my hardest to obey Christ is not because I fear death. I mean, partly. But most importantly, because he's been so good to me. And Timothy and you and me are exercised the same kind of kindness into the people that we oversee. Do you understand? It's not easy living a life of proper speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. It's not easy at all because all you want to do is going to go into your bat cave. And all you want to do is say, look, I provide for my family, and that is it, amigo. I am peacing out. That's what you want to do. But leadership takes active, long-lasting sacrifice. Comprende? Paul says, do this. And Paul says, verse 13, I'm making great time, by the way. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhort and to teach. He says, don't be intimidated. Exercise, make, be an example to your congregation in exercising your leadership. And until I come to you, devote yourself meaning give yourself wholeheartedly in time and patience to public reading, which means reading of scripture. Exhortation means teaching so that people can, people, teaching so that people will change their behavior. And to, to, to exhortation, which means Preaching so that people will change. You're preaching to the mind, conscious, the will, so that people will change. And to teach, into teaching, which means teaching to the mind. So Paul is saying, until I come back, your job, Timothy, is to teach in such a way. Teach them theology, doctrine, in, to stimulate their intelligence, but also teach to stimulate their wills. And you need to devote yourself to this. No matter how intimidating people are, no matter what the oppositions are, you must devote yourself to this in a very long-lasting kind of a way. When I think of devotion, I think of these chefs, these Japanese chefs in Japan. 
I'm not saying Japanese chefs in America are not like this, but primarily people in Japan. They spend a lifetime perfecting their craft. I was, I was seeing one YouTube where there's this guy who makes ramen noodles out of his truck for 30 years. That's all he does. He's not an American. He says, oh, yeah, I'm going I'm to pop up here, do this, make money, and then roll my money to make it a bigger investment. He's not an American. He says, all I want to do is to perfect the craft of ramen. That's all he does. Jinro, you know, I dream of Jiro, right? His sushi place isn't a a subway station in Japan. It doesn't matter. All he does is just constantly devoting himself in the perfecting of his craft. That's the idea here. Paul says, no matter what happens to you, no matter what opposition comes your way, Timothy and all the pastors that come after it, you are called to devote yourself to the teaching of God's word. Public reading is people coming up and reading scripture, and, Paul, and Timothy goes up and explaining it. Justin Martyr, he's like the early, he's not a church historian, he's a pagan historian who wrote about the early church, right? This is how he describes what a church service looked like. 100 years after Jesus Christ. This is like the way the most earliest churches conducted worship. You know how the earliest churches conducted worship? Some guy would come up, and they would just read and read and read the Apostle's letter or one of the Old Testament prophets. They would just read and read and read and read. No song, no singing. They would just read and read and read the scripture. And then the pastor would come up, and he would explain what was just read. Amen. And you pray, amen, let's have lunch. That was the Sunday worship service. That was it. That's the OG, the way they did it. There's no praise songs, God bless praise songs. There's no audiovisual team. God bless you, audiovisual team. But, there, but that is, in a sense, what was how the early church did it. Paul says, pastors, devote yourself to such a lifestyle. You understand? That is why. I'm almost done, by the way. I'm making really great time. That is why, once again, coming here, me preparing it, I consider myself, like, I mean, sometimes I have an image of myself of preparing food for you, the word of God for you, and I really do try to give it my best. I really do. I really do. I don't repeat sermons. Right, unless it's wedding, but then you, you heard all my weddings before, but you guys are married now, besides a couple of you. But I don't repeat my sermon because you deserve the best. God deserves the best, and you, you deserve my best, and God deserves my best. But for you, you need to make this a priority. Because as I prioritize my best to present it to you, you need to come and listen. Not because of my ego. Look, I don't need this church to stroke my ego. I'm a very important person, by the way. Right? I don't need you to stroke my ego. I don't, it's not in me. I don't really need you to make me feel better about myself. 
but you listen because God will work as you listen. So I devote myself to teaching. You devote yourself to learning. That's what a church is supposed to be. So Timothy, Paul says, don't get intimidated. Exercise proper living so that people respect you. Regardless of what happens to you, devote yourself to the teaching. And Timothy, even if you're intimidated, verse 14. When you feel intimidated, don't forget that the ability to teach and pastor is not the gift that you have on your own. It is a gift that God has given you. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy. Paul is saying, Timothy, you're able to do your work because God has gifted you to do this. You're not doing this because you're clever, Timothy. You're doing this because God has gifted you to do it. Which means the God who has gifted you is the God who is with you. Look, when we're saved, God gift, give, give gifts to every Christian. But to some men, he gave the gift of teaching and being a pastor. Truly. How, and it is only the gifted men who are called to preach and be pastor. How do you know you're gifted? Is it, because, is it you, you know you're gifted if you listen to the voice of God saying, you will be a pastor? No, man. This is how you know you're gifted. This is how your mind, is, like, like if, for preachers, your mind is oriented towards this way. All you do is just, all, all like, like your mind is just, the way your mind works is your mind always is like veering towards the truth and scripture. You cannot shut it out. You can't, you can't shut it out. Like my wife cannot shut music out of her mind. Me, I can't shut this thing out, right? That's how you know you're oriented towards that direction. Not only that, God has given you the ability to communicate it. And God has given you the ability to see things in the light of Scripture. That's how you know that you're gifted. But the way that you know gifted is not just the sense, the inner call, the thing you think that God has called you. Verse 14 again. Prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. For Timothy, Timothy not only is gifted internally, but his gift was confirmed by the elders of the early church. When they prayed for him during Timothy's ordination service, they were praying over him. And as they were praying over him, they got prophecy that says, Timothy, you're called to do this. So Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, look. What you're doing is not on your own accord. God has gifted you, and you're gifted. That's been confirmed by the elders of the church. Therefore, do not lose heart, because you're doing God's work. How do you know you're, you're doing God's work? Because you're gifted. How do you know that you're gifted? Because God used your gifts to bring life. How do you know you're gifted? How do you know whether a preacher is gifted or not? It's not the size of his congregation. It's not at all. 
but the effect that his teaching has on his congregation. That's the evidence of a gift. You understand? Look, when a gifted pastor preaches, life always, something always happens. Either the preacher changes to the things that he preaches or the congregation changes to the things that he preaches. But when a, when a gifted preacher preaches, things just don't stay the same. Response always happens, either in the preacher's life or in the life of the congregation, or preferably both. You need gifted men for this role. What if next week I re- I'm saying I'm t- hanging up my jersey Right? I'm doing the Michael Jordan. I'm hanging up, hanging up my jersey in my prime. Adios, embrace. I'm going to Florida and live off of Disney World and go to Disney World. Who would you find to replace me? A person who's gifted. A person who's oriented towards the word of God. A person whom God has used to convey life into people. These are the questions that you ask. Look, when I was interviewing for this position, I don't know what they were asking me, but they weren't asking me this. They said, oh, none of them are here, by the way, so I can't talk about them. They said, what do I think about the gift of tongues? Well, with all due respect, who cares what my opinion about the gift of tongues are? Am I oriented? Has God, has God, has given, has God has used my sermons to bring life into people? That's the measurement. Because that's evidence that God is with the preacher. Timothy, Paul says, God is with you in these gifts. So you are not alone. Immerse yourself, verse 15, in these things. Immerse yourself. That's your life's calling. That's my life's calling. Right? That's why it is so utterly important that we have a preacher, we, that our church is conducted where we hold the word of God in its supremacy and we have leaders to properly feed you the word of God so that you will be saved and that you will be sanctified. Let's pray.